listening to this podcast with Joe Paris again and producing this, I realized the complexity and depth of the work of Joe. Uh, we were talking a lot about his new book series, but more than this about integral magic, about linguistics, uh, about Alistair Crowley a little bit, heavy, heavy topics, crazy stuff. I think to fully understand his way of thinking um, would require three or four hours of uh, conversation at least. I hope uh, you will enjoy this uh, little glimpse into his work. Integral magic, it's a fascinating concept. Not only does he use the work of Ken Wilber and integral philosophy, but he dares to integrate also the works of Aleister Crowley and transforms uh, this into a system, a symbol, which is completely new. It is my feeling that uh, we do not only need a map of consciousness and of the development um, and of culture, but we need a magical system, uh, how to put all this into use, whereby magical does not refer to some pre-rational concepts of, uh, of the mind, but uh, to some forms of transrational stages. We have to talk more about magic in all its forms. May it be pre-rational or even rational or transrational. I think uh, it was Arthur C. Clarke who said that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic so we can find uh, on every stage of every level uh, of consciousness a new form of magic. Magic does not have to be pre-rational and to open a dialogue about the technologies of the mind, not only the maps, but the actual, actual new ways of dealing with reality, um, the capacities of the mind uh, to act from a new stage. This is important. This is a important conversation. This is magic. And I guess what Joe does is to open up this dialogue in a poetic way in an intellectual way, in a visionary way. So I, I can urge you to check out uh, his book series coming out now, 1st of May. So have fun uh, with this very complex and wandering uh, through the topics conversation with Joe Paris. My name is Thomas Mark. This is Lateral Conversation. And I wish you all the best. So, Joe, thank you very much for taking the time doing this podcast with me. Thank you. It's my pleasure. So, 
Um, you're calling from Bothell, uh, Washington, or where are you now? I'm calling from my office in Seattle, Washington. Ah, Seattle. Okay. This is um, the place where grunge started 20 years ago. So you must have been the age. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. At the, at the time, it was uh, a little bit before I, I, I moved. I was uh, living in, uh, in Chicago at the time that grunge was really taking off. Okay. So did you have a chance to, to meet the great three or four bands at that time? No, uh, no. At the time, I, I was uh, uh, more interested in the study of uh, divinity than the study of uh, grunge and rock and roll. Div divinity, or what did you say? In divinity. I okay. had studied uh, uh, at the uh, University of Chicago Divinity School in, okay. my, at, in the the nineties. I was uh, interested in uh, advancing the knowledge of the psych psychology and sociology of religion at the time. Wow, okay. So, okay. So, uh, for, for our listeners, you are, um, can, can I say you are a, a gay activist? Uh, you, you, you wrote a book yeah. of Soulfully Gay, which was... I did. Uh, I did. I, I would consider myself a um, LGBT uh, Uh, visionary and uh, I, I rarely get involved in commentary on you know day-to-day -day events in the LGBT scene there are so many fine activists doing good work mm. uh, directly engaging with uh, the issues of the day uh, okay. I don't uh, uh, I don't get involved in that what uh, Uh, the way I like to think of it is uh, I try to hold a 1,000-year vision of the future of uh, the world and the LGBTQ community as part of that. And I'm envisioning uh, alternative ways of looking at the reality, uh, different worldviews, different practices that we can engage in now. Okay. Uh, so that, uh, you know, in 100 years or 1,000 years... Um, you know, we're going to be in a, a better spot worldwide. Okay. So uh, are you referring to your new book series or uh, how do I have to imagine this uh, thousand years uh, in, in the future? <laughs> well, there is something uh, connected to my, my new book series. The book series is uh, uh, not uh, specifically for the LGBT okay. community. It is a uh, much broader uh, appeal uh, much more uh, um, much more difficult to describe uh, it's called the calendar series that's mm. calendar with a K. Um, the uh, the concept for the series is to uh, create over the course of nine books a uh, a single book for each month of a nine-month calendar okay the calendar is um, one that I didn't invent per se. It's a calendar that was invented uh, in ancient China by the philosopher Yang Shung. Okay. Uh, Yang Shung's uh, solar calendar, uh, you know, contains uh, nine months, and and so does uh, my own, uh, you know, my own uh, interpretation of it. Hmm. Okay. And uh, for, for each uh, book in the calendar series, 
there is one month, but there is also uh, one level or one stage of the evolution of, of human consciousness. Okay. So I'm really uh, trying to uh, articulate a vision of uh, human development that coincides with uh, with time and the, the unfolding of the, the seasons of the calendar, wow. uh, the uh, you know the uh, the story arc unfolds, and we allow a single protagonist to walk through the cycles of life as well as the ages of history. Mm. And to do that, uh, what kind of story did I have to tell? It turned out I had to tell a story in the uh, the fantasy science fiction genre. Mm. As soon as you, you get along uh, uh, to the point where you're talking about, um, you know, a single person uh, surviving the courses of history, mm. uh, talking about an immortal being. And so... Uh, already you've left the realm of reality into uh, to fantasy. Okay. And uh, uh, so my protagonist is a single individual. I've named him Kalen. Uh, and, of course, Kalen is, you know, the letters K-A-L-E-N is also the start of the word calendar. Hmm. So there's a, there's, you know, that's not a coincidence. Hmm. So Kalen uh, begins uh, 2,000 years in our past you know, at the time of the birth of, contemporaneously with the birth of Christ. Okay. So he's, he's born, um, but not in Jerusalem, or not in Bethlehem, but Caleb is born uh, at uh, the Oracle of Delphi. Okay. At, at midnight. And so he has, a, he has a darker, more mysterious, enigmatic origin, um, tracing from, uh, from his, his family's roots in Africa mm. and, uh, and uh, his uh, parents of Thracian heritage. Mm. So he's, uh, he's coming from 2,000 years in the past, and over the course of the nine books, he's going to travel about 333 years in each book to the point that uh, uh, when I get to book seven, he's going to be alive with us today in our time. He's okay. going to be... You know, that's going to be the, the book called uh, The Blue Castle. Okay. By the time the, ho the whole series is called Black Stone, I, I suppose. I presume uh, the, the first book is The Black Stone. Oh, that's how okay. the story gets started. Okay. Mm. And at the end of the series, he'll thousand years in our future. Mm. So obviously I've had to introduce fantastical elements and uh, a whole magical system to make this kind of wild ride possible. Mm. But when, it, when the, the whole series unfolds, it's possible to start to see human development not only as an individual, but mm. also as a civilization over these 3,000 years. Mm. And for me to be able to write a story which synchronizes and harmonizes the journey of this one individual, Caitlin, mm. with the journey that we take as a civilization mm. over 3,000 years. Have you, have you read uh, Belzebub's uh, stories for his grandchildren? I don't know if this is the correct title of the book of Gurdjieff, where he explored like, um, I, I guess it's Belzebub uh, who, who talks to his grandson and tells him the story of humankind and goes into the uh, past and the future. You, have you read the book? You know, I, I'm going to say that I have, but I've already forgotten it. It's oh, been vale. because, so long because, ago. Because in, in scope and in language, your book resembles, I think, a little bit uh, the Gurdjieff book because you, you use um, artificial words 
you you create a, a new language and you create like a fantastical um, narrative f for this book. Sure, you know, I I can't compare it to the Beelzebub book, but um, you know, one of my my influences was a book uh, um, influenced by uh, Gurdjieff, which was the the Wheel of Time. Uh, actually, okay. that, I'm sorry, I, I that's a that's a different book. That's a science fiction book that uh, really hasn't influenced me. Uh, I'm thinking of um, of the uh, of of another book that about a called a wheel. I'm going to have to okay. look at the bit. May have maybe called the wheel of time. <laughs> From Gurdjieff <laughs> or, or? Uh, by uh, by uh, Kieserling. Oh, okay. Mm. Uh, so uh, the uh, a wheel of time, uh, the wheel of time wiki. Uh, I'm look, trying to look it up, and I'm uh, oh here we go. <laughs> the, I just I just googled it and I. <laughs> I found uh, I found the book. Uh, it doesn't seem to have the title, but the uh, idea that I wanted to express is that uh, that what I've tried to do is is uh, create my own sort of philosopher's mm. stone and and the or philosopher's wheel, as mm. it were, uh, a symbol of everything. You you may have heard of uh, of the philosopher Ken Wilber, who of course. Mm. Um, you know I I uh, think very highly of. And uh, you know, Ken's written a book called "A Theory of Everything." And mm. Part part of my own motivation in, in uh, creating this this series is, and the idea of the calendar mm. is the idea of a symbol of everything. Can I uh, create a a single uh, symbol which is able to uh, encapsulate the sum of of all wisdom? You, you mean symbol or system? Well, it ends up being a, a single symbol isn't good enough, so it ends up being a whole symbol system. Okay. Uh, so I, I, I ended up creating a system of symbols, uh, you know, one prominent symbol for each of the nine months of the calendar, hmm. uh, and uh, different technologies uh, for accessing the wisdom of that symbol. Okay. Uh, so nine different technologies, I call them existential technologies, but they're basically, uh, you know, magical uh, systems which, uh, which can, can give access to some uh, part of the, the whole in a way that, that uh, is unique and revelatory and interesting and sometimes exciting and, and, uh, and really cool. So there's a lot, lot to talk about, about Wilbur Integral, about magic, and your vision for the future of humankind. What is your vision for the future of humankind? <laughs> you know, uh, that's an easy question because I can pass on that. The, the uh, uh, um, you know, I, I'm writing a series of books that the last three books will have a vision of, of the future, and I don't mm. want to spoil the, uh, the ending. Mm. Uh, you know, the, uh, what, I'm still evolving it. But what I can tell you from the first book is this, that there is a, uh, in my, my story, you know, we're at a very special time. Uh, the, uh, in the, the, uh, there are, you know, nine months to this calendar, and this calendar is really the, uh, uh, the symbol of everything. So uh, you've heard of tears of consciousness. Well, in, in my symbol system, uh, the first three calendars, th first three months, or the first millennium CE, mm. 
was the uh, the first tier of consciousness. The the second tier of consciousness uh, really evolved over the course of the second millennium CE. Mm. We've turned a corner. We're at a, a time when uh, the second uh, turning of the wheel uh, allows us you know, to approach the final thousand years of this calendar. Mm. And what's happening for the first time in this meta symbol is that we can now compare uh, what, what we're going through with what's happened two times before mm. uh, at previous months of the calendar. Okay. So for the first time, a kind of foreknowledge arises because we can have more advanced forms of dialectical thinking. Okay. And we can begin to uh, see the future by projecting forward what's happened in the past. So, mm -hmm. uh, so this is kind of the, the unique time that, uh, that we're at as of year 2000 CE. Mm. And we have a thousand years that we can now project forward based on what's happened over the, the last 2000 years. So in my book, um, I call this period of time, when we come to realize this, the great overturning. And it's an opportunity for us to overturn uh, a heck of a lot that's gone before us and to really establish uh, some new, uh, new laws and new ways of, of organizing reality. Okay, so but um, uh, uh, not to sound um, overly simplistic, but um, your um, your book and your your philosophy is informed by Ken Wilber and by developmental psychology. So and and the stages and and these levels of consciousness and uh, levels of cultural development. It, you said it is or it isn't. No, it, it's the question. Is it correct or is it too simplistic to to uh, approach this topic? You know uh, the. Uh, I am informed by the whole uh, set of, of wisdom from developmental thinking and from uh, integral theory mm. and, and you know theorists who've, who've looked at uh, at uh, evolution. I'm organizing the information a little bit differently, though. You okay. know, I'm I'm starting with uh, a uh, you know a meta symbol, a, a grand symbol, and uh, working within that. Uh, developing a coherent framework in which uh, everything everything fits together in a new harmony. Okay, can you elaborate on that? How how do you do this? Well, uh, I'll tell you the way that I approach this is through language. Uh, the uh, the the wisdom that I got from um, from trying to write uh, poetry in my late 30s and early 40s was very humbling. Mm. <laughs> I, uh, I had, in my 30s, I wrote a, um, a spiritual memoir. Uh, actually, I was 34 at the time. Soulfully uh, gay. Mm. Soulfully gay. I wrote the spiritual memoir, mm. and I wrote it about a, my evolution in consciousness. As mm. I discovered uh, integral theory, and I changed my worldview from basically that of postmodern pluralism, Hmm. through a post-postmodern um, integral framework. Hmm. Uh, and that was the, the essence of my journey that was chronicled in that book and in hmm. that time frame. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it, in terms of integral philosophy, I, it was growing from a kind of green meme to teal meme, you might okay. say. Hmm. 
um, or a, you know, a individualist to a, to strategist. Okay. In, uh, in uh, Cook Reuters terminology. Okay, the, let uh, me let me just ask how how can can you can you explain this uh, um, in in your personal way how how did you make this this transformation from green uh, pluralistic to post modern post postmodern teal integral how what what happened? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, not coincidentally, I kept a journal mm. uh, and I also wrote a, a newspaper column and I kept a blog. So all of these things contributed to my evolution, and I, I would say that was my central, uh, my my central spiritual practice over the course of 14 months. And when you when you're looking at the world and you're looking at your own life and you're trying to make sense of it, and you're reading a lot and you're reading integral philosophy, uh, you you can start to um, draw connections and make. Uh, Uh, see patterns that you couldn't see before, okay. and so it, you know. It, in my case, I was able to you know really uh, figure out all the ways that my life wasn't working, okay. <laughs> and trace a lot of it to the fact that I had never outgrown my my postmodern consciousness, okay. and and I had to uh, rethink it all and mm. rethink it all very quickly so that I, because I was writing a newspaper column, I had to be able to digest all of these changes and be able to spit it out into a, to coherent uh, 900 word columns every two weeks. Mm. Okay, and, and you, you being gay, has it something to do with it living in that culture where this is still a problem? And it, it did. I, I think it's a it's a evolutionary spur. You know, it's something that that uh, where you know if if you're living uh, in a way that uh, uh, you you find yourself uh, you know the the evidence of your body is telling you that the the dictates of religion are a lie and the the uh, culture around you is is way off base. It gets you searching for answers, searching for truth. Uh, a lot of people stop at the idea that gay is okay, and that uh, you know I can, you know, it's it's all right to have sex and it's all right to get married. You know, mm. that's that's great achievement in and of itself, and that's an achievement that, that postmodernism got me. Uh, what what integral theory got me was uh, uh, was first of all a. a A wondering about integral theory because I didn't see the answers about gayness that uh, uh, I was looking for. You okay. know, it, it wasn't there. The writers that were writing integral theory weren't weren't talking about it. So I had, I had to do some homework. Okay, and what are the un answers? <laughs> well, what, what I what I developed was basically a uh, a, a, a series of pictures which. Uh, you know, kind of, you can call them, uh, you know, vision logic interfaces, uh, if you will. They're basically uh, models, uh, vision logic models for how uh, gayness is a holonic property. You know, it's a, a property of, of everything that is. And as such, you know, you know, being gay is a, is a particular calling to a certain way of, of realizing one's supreme identity. Ah, oh, this is interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, so that was the you know the achievement of of my uh, like you you're talking sorry you're talking about something like cosmic address or, or, or something like your un unique being your higher self something something like this or, or what do you mean? Well, uh, 
you know, you know, you talk about uh, man and woman, and or in you know, there's a you know principle of yin and yang we're talking about here, or uh, agency and communion. That if you're a man, you can read integral philosophy and identify with the agentic principle. You know mm. where you fit. You know, if you're a woman, you identify with the, the communal principle, you know, 80, 90 percent of the time. But some men will identify with the communal principle and okay. some women will identify with the agentic principle. Okay. And so it gets a little bit more complicated. But there's a way of identifying, uh, you know, at, a, at a, this, uh, you know, logical level, how your gender fits in with, you know, whole, the holonic uh, principles or, the you know, this very simple map of all that is. Okay. Well, uh, I don't want to spend too much time on the map that I created and soulfully gave because I've, I've since uh, surpassed that. Mm. <laughs> but in essence, uh, uh, what I did is I identified uh, homophilia and heterophilia as the glue that holds uh, yin and yang together. They're the, they're the uh, um, you know, you have to, you know, create a, uh, you know, a separate uh, row on your, your spreadsheet for it. And, uh, but basically, you've got, uh, uh, you know, agency and communion on the one hand and mm -hmm. heterophilia and homophilia on the other. And there are four primordial permutations of these, uh, these, these four principles. Okay. So with that in mind, I was able to uh, locate... Uh, gayness in the a picture of all that is in a way that that resolved my quest for meaning as a, as a gay man okay uh, that played a, a central part of it and that's really just the capstone of of you know kind of looking at homosexuality in a whole variety of different contexts and different different levels and telling looking at history looking at at controversial issues looking at you know the history of uh, sexuality um, and uh, where, where all that led me to was uh, was the book and soulfully gay, um, followed by a period of questing where I I set up myself a new goal, which was to try to write a epic poem, um, which would be uh, uh, which would be a sort of integral uh, integrally informed epic poem mm. uh, kind of. Uh, the way that uh, Dante had written, uh, you know, the Divine Comedy as a way of giving fullness to the to the amazing vision of Thomas Aquinas, you know, in medieval philosophy. Hmm. So, what would a poem look like that could realize a sort of integral vision, one that would not be limited to medieval Roman Catholicism and its, you know, visions of heaven, purgatory, and, and hell, but mm. but one that would be looking at the whole spiral of developments and throughout the whole world. Okay. Mm. And so that really, you know, that that project came to dominate my my uh, time, and and uh, and for years I, I you know, did nothing on it. <laughs> I kind of had this idea and, and did nothing because I was stymied by language, and it it wasn't until I was able to uh, able to uh, create a model for the subtle properties of language that I was able to then create 
the calendar series, which includes okay. an epic poem. Okay, so now you're talking about uh, Lingua U. As far as I understand, you're thinking that um, there are specific uh, properties to language, to sound, uh, specific meanings. Yes, is that what, what you're saying? Yes, indeed. Uh, the, uh, you know, uh, um, there's a whole uh, strand of uh, linguistics, you know, modern linguistics, which uh, is uh, postulated on the idea that the sound uh, symbol is arbitrary. That, mm. that, uh, that uh, you know, that, you know, in, uh, uh, you know, German will have, uh, you know, one uh, word for, for dog and, and, Uh, you know, you know, English will have another word, and every language will have its own different word. And since so, it's obvious in this manner of thinking that the sounds uh, of uh, the word "dog" has to be arbitrary, because mm. you know, obviously, it you know, it's just obvious. <laughs> this is this is one <laughs> so, strand of thinking of linguistics that that yeah, symbols the, and meanings are arbitrary. And yeah, this is the, the the dominant the dominant vision of of uh, linguistics, mm. and what I discovered uh, through my research is uh, that there is a uh, a minority opinion, you know, the minority report, as it were, in linguistics, which is uh, phonosemantics mm. and the idea of sound symbolism or linguistic iconism. Mm. You can Google these uh, terms, and you'll end up on uh, you know. A magical website called the Magical Letters page by, uh, uh, you know, an amazing uh, linguist, uh, Margaret Magnus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The MIT uh, professor, no? Yes, that's right. Mm. And and what she's convincingly demonstrated, to my mind, uh, that uh, that this uh, this problem of linguistics was is actually was solved by Plato. Mm. <laughs> That uh, who uh, first proposed that language, uh, you know, is uh, formed or meaning is formed in imitation of nature, mm. and you know this was a this was Plato's central insight, and her own research into cross-cultural sound symbolism suggested to her that something very much like that is the case. It's mm. just a matter of how strong or how weak that you want to make the the argument i i tend to make it pretty strongly because uh you know there's there's no uh, uh there, there aren't a lot of other people out there who are advancing this this uh this theory so i'm, I'm making a very strong case that that uh that what a sound is um is, what what a sound means is is its pronunciation and uh And in order to uh, to to uh, uh, really uh, make use of that insight that I got from Margaret Magnus, I had to do something that she didn't do. Uh, it's a, a wonderful metaphor for the consonants. She thinks of them as gods, and that, that like the Greek gods, all the different consonants are at war with each other, forming alliances. They have their own identities and personalities, and they enact their own dramas. Mm. And you know. Far from a, an arbitrary universe, you know, she uh, has this living, you know, back in Greece, the, you know, the pawns of these consonants that mm. are these gods that are, uh, you know, uh, uh, in our midst that mm. we're not aware of.
Yes. Well, what I've done is is I've organized the deities, <laughs> the deities of the consonants. You know the. Uh, uh, you know, I, I've uh, you know created a, a map that I from uh, um, from that I found from uh, ancient China, the Master Yang Sheng's calendar, hmm. and uh, organized a uh, you know symbolic alignment of the symbols of the Taishuan Xing with all of the major consonants and vowels of the International Phonetic Alphabet. Hmm. Let me just, for our listeners, because this is a highly, highly complex topic. So, the, the, the main strands of linguistic says, okay, symbols and meanings are somewhat arbitrary. We, we can choose to uh, call this thing, uh, which uh, Joe sees now, we can uh, call it iPhone, we can call it whatever, if, if it's a consent, if we say, okay, this uh, should be this meaning. But the other strand, which you are talking about, Margaret, what, what is her name? Megan. Megan. She she, uh, well, she researched how we copy sounds from nature. You, you yes. said this, uh, and uh, another way is that she observed clusters of uh, words, which sign signifies things which are similar. For example, uh, the the letter B, because it's uh, like in, in the front of the tongue. Uh, it's, um, uh, um, there are many words signifying like a form of beginning like birth or big bang or with the letter uh, with the letter h like home habitation hospital and and she observed clusters of those words and meanings so arguing there are specific meanings inherent to symbols yes i would say that's that's uh, uh that's the gist of it the uh, you know on the one hand, there's there's the symbols are arbitrary, and on the other hand, there's there are inherent meanings to the sound symbols. Okay. And I I uh, you know put myself in the latter camp. Of course, it's not that extreme. Uh, obviously, there's a degree of arbitrariness, and there's a degree of meaning, and it's a matter of debating. Uh, you know. Uh, You know, you know how uh, how strong of a, a thesis to make. Hmm. Anthroposophics, you know the guys um, uh, from Rudolf Steiner. Yes. Yeah, so yes, they, they have a similar theory. So that specific sounds have a specific healing uh, capacity. So that's right. So hmm? well, this theory didn't originate with Margaret Magnus. It, hmm. She traces it to uh, a set of about six or seven different ancient. Uh, uh, you know, a, a, so ancient uh, spiritual ideas okay. uh, from uh, Kabbalah in the in the West to uh, you know uh, Shinto in the in Japan and, okay. and Sanskrit. You know, the, these these uh, uh, ancient traditions, which uh, widely believed that uh, you know sound is important. It's a a gateway to the divine. It mm. models consciousness that. That, you know, there's all of these uh, connections that if we only understood the uh, sound and the the sounds of our letters that we could have a stairway to heaven you know mm. and it's in a, a bunch of different religious traditions uh, thinking of om this is the sound of the universe supposedly so mm. exactly mm. exactly but you know the the thing is if you want to get into the details uh, the different traditions don't agree on what 
the most important symbols are, or mm. what the most important vowels are, what the, mm. <laughs> what the most important consonants are. Okay. And, and they all, you know, they use different alphabets with different numbers of symbols and different, uh, you know, different, uh, uh, you know, uh, ways of dividing up mm. reality. Mm. So what I've tried to do is uh, instead of base, you know, a lot of magical systems, you know, like uh, Aleister Crowley's, hmm. will basically take, um, you know, take linguist, you know, the take a, a you know, a, a you know, linguistic uh, given, you know, sort of uh, they're going. What I mean to say is uh, uh, they won't question. Uh, the background linguistics that they're working with, they'll simply uh, take a bunch of, of symbols and use okay. it. Like, uh, you know, like Aleister Crowley's uh, vision of Kabbalah is very important to him, but he basically, uh, you know, goes back and says Hebrew is the root of of all, <laughs> mm. of, of all, uh, uh, you know, meaning systems. That, you okay. know, he's going to privilege one language's sacred sound symbolism over mm. all the others. Okay. Mm. And so I've, you know, as a, as someone who's, uh, who came into, uh, to Crowley and, and, uh, wanted very much to be able to, uh, uh, use everything I could from his linguistic system or from mm. his magic system is what I mean to say. Uh, I, I just grew skeptical at, uh, you know, his asking me to, uh, you know, to make Hebrew the, you know, the, uh, you know, base. ultimate mm -hmm. base for mm -hmm. my my theory. I wanted mm -hmm. to be to uh, use uh, if I had to pick one uh, uh, one uh, set of symbols. I wanted to pick the symbols that uh, are in a, in use by um, by international linguistic linguists. Uh, for describing all of the languages, you know, the mm. international phonetic alphabet. Okay. So I asked myself, well, what if we, instead of basing a magical system on the magical properties of Hebrew, uh, why not base it on the magical properties of the international phonetic alphabet, mm. the sounds of uh, all of the, the languages of the world? Mm. Well. So to, to get this straight, in constructing your poem, you use this property of language so to design your, your poem. So you're constructing the way to transport meaning aside from the meaning which is described by your words, but by your, by your sounds. Is that correct? I did. I did. What I, I did is I created this calendar, and on, uh, on this calendar I associated, we talked about there being nine months. Mm. Well, they're all three seasons hmm. so each season I assigned a primary vowel uh, one of the three vowels that the sounds that are made okay. when the, uh, the mouth is at an extreme or the, the speech organs are at extreme positions so the sounds that I chose were I E and U okay then there were nine months and I chose for those uh, the nine most commonly used vowel sounds that You know that I could find, and uh, and assigned each of them uh, to one of the months, uh, and I broke it down even further, and and so in the I know I'm getting a little technical here, but each of these uh, each of these sounds can be 
can be described with a letter from the International Phonetic Alphabet. Okay. It can also be described by a hexagram or, a, excuse me, a, a, a subtle energy marker. Okay. The subtle energy marker for, uh, for the, the prime vowels, uh, I, E, and U, is a single subtle energy mark, uh, mm. either yang, yin, or yu. Uh, so I is yang, E is yin, and U is yu. Uh, and then you go through the, the nine different vowels. Okay. And you need two different subtle energy markers. And when you put two subtle energy markers together, uh, or you, the, they form what are called bigrams, uh, but they're also, they can also be depicted by, by vowels. And when you put three subtle energy markers together, they can be called trigrams. And these can be depicted by constants. Oh, okay. mm -hmm. So, you know, very briefly, we can run through the different consonants and when they're ordered in lingua u, the, the uh, shape and the sound that, that comes from, from one letter to the next flows one to the other hmm. uh, in a way that just is not possible with conventional language, you know, and conventional alphabets. Like the, uh, the first two consonants are B and P, and this is hardly a coincidence, B and P, uh, are essentially the sound of b and p is the same sound that's produced in the mouth the same way with one difference. Uh, b is a yang sound, so it's pr pronounced with vibration in, in the vocal cords, but okay. p is called an unvoiced consonant. It's, it's a yin sound, and it is not pronounced with the same sort of vibration. Okay. But the lips are doing the same thing, and the, the mouth is doing the same thing. So, so in the, the subtle energy symbols for B and P are identical, except the P is just a little bit more yin at the bottom mm -hmm. to represent the, the, uh, the more yin way that the sound is being formed. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So, but you, you are, uh, once again, you are you actually using lingua U? Uh, for for the calendar series, well, that's the hope. I, I do hope that okay. this is a book that can be uh, studied as well as read. Uh, you know, half of the book is uh, a uh, uh, a fairly easy to read uh, fantasy story. Mm. Uh, it's a it's a in a, a novel format, so uh, you know it could be read by you know. A, Uh, you know, a, a child or, or young adult. Hmm. The uh, uh, you know the uh, second half of the book is the first part of the uh, of the epic poem of uh, that I, I've st started envisioning. Hmm. You know, five to to ten years ago, uh, and I didn't really have a way of writing it until I was able to create this subtle energy. Uh, uh, of language, you know, this subtle okay. energy, this way of of writing language in subtle energy, gave me a way for the first time of of looking at sound as meaningful in a, a sort of metaphysical sense. Well, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we talk about we don't like to talk about metaphysics when we're we're uh, 
these days, and especially in the integral worldview. So I, I say sort of metaphysical sense. Hmm. Uh, there's a, you know, there's certain ways in which uh, sound becomes alive again through through lingua yu hmm. because it it, it uh, forms it has a you can visualize its relationship to the whole uh, the whole language for the first time in a way that it has never been possible hmm. before so you know a, a simple decision such as starting the poem with the letter b uh you know at, with the, the first consonant as b you know it's like well you know in in english b is you know has a you know, a very uh, important uh, uh, role, uh, you know, the, the word for being is uh, uh, be, you know, so we have uh, be, uh, it's also the word for big bang, you know, mm. so it's, it's be, begin, big bang. Yeah, 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 exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the beginning. And, uh, and so there's, a, uh, so, so one is able to uh, see it at the very end of the poem, uh, and I'm not giving too much away because this is all something that comes up pretty mm. early on in the poem. The very end of the poem is the, the consonant Y. Mm. And what's the, the just a, the very first um, uh, sound in lingua yu is by. Mm. And the very last sound in lingua yu is ya. Mm. Uh, so as it turns out that in, in uh, you know, the Judeo-Christian tradition, the, the personal name of the divinity is Yahweh. Well, I think it's very interesting <laughs> that personally that that Yahweh uh, is the very final end of the poem and by is the very beginning of the poem is also the word for Bible. And okay. so you have, uh, you know, I didn't uh, set about trying to uh, you know, prove any one particular religion's, uh, uh, you know, uh, personal name for God as being the ultimate. Hmm. But if I had, I would have picked, you know, probably the Judeo-Christian Yahweh. Uh, because mm -hmm. it's, it's the one closest to to my background, and it's <laughs> also the one that's had the most influence in the, you know, the contemporary West. Hmm. So... Uh, you know, I remember asking a, a integral teacher of Christianity once, uh, uh, "What do you make of of the personal name of God? You know, does this have any significance? Could it could it does it have to be Yahweh or could it be Jehovah? What would be the big difference if we called mm. it Jehovah? Mm. What would be the difference if we called it Bubapukwe? You know, mm. <laughs> you know could that could Bubapukwe be the you know the divine name? Could we just change it one day?" Hmm. So, you know, it, you know, Yahweh. You know, no, that was that was the the past. Now it's Bubapukwe. Hmm. And he said, "Well, I don't think integral theory is at a place where you know it has you know can speak to that. You know, it's just not part of you know it. It doesn't really have a way of addressing that kind of question." No, no, no. I, I was just think I was just thinking that because you know you can of course um, you you can argue you are always in in this kind of uh, rational cycle where you can say okay uh, uh, to to explore if a, if a sound has an inherent meaning you have to use your mind and you have to use symbols to to uh, discover this so you can never know if uh, a sound actually has a meaning you know but uh, when when you think about it. 
that doesn't mean it it it, it can't you know of of course it can we we have no way of knowing if there's a specific dimension to sound which we're not able to observe in in the in the moment well i think that there's a lot we don't uh uh understand about uh, you know the sound properties of of our of you know we're we're you know uh, we're we're really at a point where you know what's happened is um, you know I, I think integral philosophy has done a great job of showing us how the ideas from different mm. religious traditions can be coalesced and correlated onto a, a great conveyor belt of consciousness mm. and so we can look at ideas you know like sin in in Christianity and say well sin is kind of like suffering in Buddhism and we can kind of correlate these and say, so you see, the religions are basically talking about the same thing. Hmm. Or in ethics, you know, the people have always observed about the golden rule and how there are different variations of it in all these different religious traditions. Hmm. Uh, but when it comes to the divine names, you know, and there are, you know, thousands of religions all with different names of the divine, and different names for angels and celestial beings and spirits. And, of course, we're constantly giving things new names here, you know, in, you know, outside of these heavenly realms. Hmm. So, so what do we do with this? And I think there are basically three options. One, one is, uh, you know, with the postmodern linguist to say it's all completely arbitrary. Hmm. That, that, you know, we, we might as well just throw it out. Hmm. Uh, the another option is to just uh, kind of nod politely at all of these different names, and then just change the subject. Hmm. <laughs> and I think this is what integral theory does today. Uh, you know, my my proposal, uh, which is going to be coming up in book three of the calendar series, is for a sort of map of the heavens. A a uh, you know the, the story of the calendar series is gonna you know is going to uh, tell a story of how the heavens got organized as it mm. were uh, through a, a, a massive uh, conflict and and subsequent uh, peace accord, which rearranged the heavens in a way that gives each letter uh, its own dignity okay. and gives it a way of revealing something about the divine. Uh, that is its own unique virtue. Hmm. So every name of the divine is important and interesting. Uh, if it's understood as, as within this map of the whole, so that it gives part of this big picture that, that is just coming into focus now. Hmm. Would you like to read something from your book? Sure, I'd be happy to do that. Thanks. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to start at the beginning and, uh, and read a bit from chapter one uh, of uh, the, the very first part of, uh, this isn't the novel, this is the, uh, the epic poem. And it all begins with, uh, I can't, uh, you know, the audio doesn't let me draw it, but you just picture a single line, a vertical line, and that is the symbol for yang. And so this is what this, this, uh, this poem is about what is the symbol for Yang. 
Entropy brought the multiverse to ruin. All was lost, everything in every world. Gravity wrought infinite contraction. Out of the void, one bay of hope unfurled. An intelligence not of light, but dark, in which the always of Yahweh whirled, present in settings dangerous and stark. Here, I have come to you with a purpose. Between that which is true and what can be teached, there is now a dangerous divergence. The word is eclipsed by decadent speech. Grudging, drudging, image of grotesque spit, cacophony, and so the way is breached. Woe comes for all in body and spirit. The holy names must be set in union so every name will be made coherent. Cultures come closer, languages rehewn, warring with misapprehensions of trope, deconstructing and then falling to ruin. Time grows short, you are sliding down the slope. Still, it is not too late to correct course, if in a new book there is yet a hope. I think I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Great. Mm -hmm. uh, I might uh, to give you an idea of the, you know, there are different kinds of poetry in the book. Uh, if I may, one, one more. Of course. Uh, uh, this one is called Piper. It's one of about four different poems in the book about um, vegetable species. Piper, Blackstone, 14 p.m. The spirit of Kalin is left with Ardo only to enter purgatory. Thereupon he, enters a he encounters a peculiar plant. I am inside genus Piper, radiator of my person in spicy form, a shrubbery pruned in pretty shapes or wild herb in the tropics a pleasing plant. I invoke you, my peppers, colorful red in Damascus. I am Kaelin. Peppercorn fruit, pungent odor, keeping yourself from herbivore lust which would devour. My beautiful pyre begins your end, ripened, peeled, and purchased droop seed of safety. Seduce us, yes, with a strong scent. Leave us hot, high on fiery taste and burning pipe. King Wen, the taming power of the small. Response, vulnerable beings evolve powerful mechanisms of self-protection. So that's one poem for a particular day and time on the calendar. And each of their, um, there are about uh, 90 to 100 poems in the book. And uh, they, one poem for each particular unit of time on the calendar. And 
some are about uh, uh, vegetables, some are about animals, uh, some are about um, ideas, and uh, and some tell stories about uh, Caitlin and and his journey through through uh, the Bardo and through Purgatory, and some tell stories about young Caitlin who's uh, who's going through his own sort of Purgatory and Bardo. Uh, because he has been born and reborn, and he's a, a child, and he's experiencing the world in a, at a level of consciousness unlike consciousness that uh, you and I have. Hmm. So, can can you um, um, channel or evoke some states of the mind with those poems? Can you? Is that the purpose that you, when you read them, that you go in specific states and? You know, um, one thing about I—I I think that is that's possible. Um, you know, I, I think the—you uh, know—it's within the limits that literature can give, and within mm. the genre that I've chosen. I've—I've uh, I've written a book which is a sort of literary response to um, Master Yang Sheng's uh, epic poem um, Tai Xuan Xing, mm. which. Uh, is translated as the canon of supreme mystery, and I, following him, I have given uh, each date of the the poem a a verse, a, which has a a particular meaning. You know, it, it's a, it's a, uh, you know sometimes it's it's literal wisdom. Uh, you know, sometimes it's uh, like the the literal wisdom of that last poem. Uh, was given by uh, the, the verse from the I Ching, the taming power of okay. the small. Hmm. Uh, uh, so it's essentially it's it's a divination book. Okay. It, oh, okay. You're, you can you can roll dice hmm. and find uh, find meanings. Uh, you can uh, ask. You can go to a whole series of, of words, and if if they're in this book, uh, look them up. And divine a, a kind of hidden meaning to them. Hmm. Well, so that's the 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 magic part of um, the integral magic and the the book series you're writing. That's right. Okay. So uh, and you and you mentioned, of course, Alistair Crowley, which I was very happy <laughs> you did this because I have the feeling that um, he's so underappreciated. And um, You know, when when you read his his book Seven Seven Seven, I I think it's like a blueprint of what Ken Wilber did in his integral psychology. And there's so much to learn from him, and yet nobody is really talking about that. And so, I I guess you are uh, transforming and and developing an integral magic which is beyond what he did, but. Clearly, I, I presume it's informed by, by his philosophy or his thinking, at least, in a, a bit. It is, and, and I have more to learn from him. You know, uh, one thing we haven't talked about at all is, is the way in which, um, you know, some of my work, uh, much, of, much of which is unpublished, uh, is channel literature, uh, literature in which I gave over my ego and my, my sense of self and allowed a spiritual entity to write through me. Mm. Uh, I just mentioned that as, as a, uh, a side note to explain why, uh, you know, at, at one point I owned 777 mm. and 
Alistair Crowley's collected works and several other books of his. Mm. But my spiritual guides uh, uh, forced me to uh, to to uh, take them out of my bookshelf and throw them in the dumpster. <laughs> you know, uh, that, that uh, you know, they uh, just kind of moved my hand, as it were, and I was, uh, you know, allowed myself to uh, be given the instruction that, I, you know, I, I had learned enough from what he had to offer that I needed to set it down and, and do something uh, without consulting him. Okay. So, uh, so know, what's I, what's what's your integral magic? What's your your approach to magic, which is different from from his approach, and in, in what way is it different? Well, I'm still discovering this because I, I've I'm rediscovering uh, Crowley and uh, and going into his magic system and uh, and finding finding uh, points of agreement or disagreement. Hmm. Basically, my magic system is, uh, uh, you know, starts with the understanding that, that uh, from Lingguayu, that, mm. that there is a new way of looking at sound and sound meanings mm. so that they make sense as part of a coherent whole. Mm. And... I've created a map, you know, through Lingguayu and through, you know, combining things from uh, linguists with, uh, you know, the Taishuan Qing. I've created this map uh, which uh, needs to be unfurled, you know, and I'm, I'm planning, you know, these, these nine books of the character series plus a whole bunch of, of blogs and who knows mm. what else mm. to, uh, to be able to unfurl this. Uh, system that's that's really based on Lingguayu. Mm. This idea that that uh, you know that meaning uh, you know can be located onto this wheel of wholeness mm. that in a way that has just never been possible before. Mm. And so um, uh, I don't know that this is really unique to you know I, I, to what I, what I'm doing as opposed to what other people have done in the past. I think there's a commonality. Uh, the commonality uh, I can understand with integral theory by saying that that I, I think uh, Crowley was a uh, was a, a violet magician. He was a uh, working at you know at the, a uh, violet level of consciousness, quite possibly. You know, I'm just uh, that's just my reading of, of him. You know, kind of, and and it's also the reading of the work that I'm doing is as a, a violet magician, as someone who is dancing at the intersection between mm. the subtle and the causal and, mm. and letting them dance and letting them play mm. and living on that the cusp where meaning and meaningfulness uh, are just you know two sides of a coin that is just spinning on its edge mm. so um, you know that's that's the way that I I see it as you know I'm, I'm doing similar kinds of work but I'm playing with Uh, a different, you know, a different set of ideas. Mm. Uh, For our listeners, I, I I would like to say that magic. That Crawley had the idea to distinguish his way of magic from, like, pre-rational forms of magic or charlatanery, and this is why he he used the spelling with the CK, the yes. the magic. So so to distinguish this, and his basic idea was to to create. Uh, in, in our terms, our subjective and intersubjective 
world according to our will and to our love. So I, I guess that was his basic idea. And he had these rituals where, uh, which are some form of programming, you know, of self-programming. And, and this is my, my reading of, of his work. So, but you using his spelling of this word magic? I'm using it as, uh, for pragmatic reasons. Uh, I want my, my words to be found on Google by, by people who, uh, <laughs> who uh, is, uh, are, okay. are accustomed to seeing it spelled in that particular way. Mm. Um, I don't know all of the reasons why uh, Crowley spelled magic the way he did, but another reason is that K is the 11th letter of, of the alphabet, mm. and he uh, uh, you know, had a, saw a special significance between the number 11 and, mm. and his magic. Oh, that's true. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I don't uh, have that particular association in my magical system. Hmm. Uh, I'm just fine with, uh, you know, the word as it is for, for now. If anything, I would like to see it spelled, uh, uh, you know, M-A-J-I-K, hmm. uh, because that's the closer to the, uh, the phonetic spelling. And in my system, we're uh, some some of the oddities of spelling are being uh, uh, being dismissed as evolutionary dross and we're getting closer back to the the, uh, the phonetic meaning and and so uh, you know that's kind of the the spelling of magic that I would would ideally like to go for but it's just not very practical mm, yes no this is but this is uh, one of the reasons I, I, I wanted to talk to you because I have this feeling that uh, with your work uh, um, the cycle is being more or less completed in a spiraling way because for me it was like uh, Madame Blavatsky and, and Crawley who uh, brought spirituality in, in our culture in a new way in the, in, in the 20th century you know and, and without their work without the philosophy and Telemann uh, none of what would happen what had happened in, in the 60s couldn't have happened so Uh, then, then came Wilbur and and uh, New Age and all of this, but a specific thing was missing, you know. Like, okay, there there is this integral part, and we have a new map now. But how uh, do we put this in use, you know? And 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 I feel the the, the system of 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 Crowley did offer some possibilities and some ways to to enact like a new way of, of integrating spirituality and psychology. He even had like this, this uh, uh, early form of a developmental system, you know, with the tree of, uh, what, what was it called, the tree of life, where you yeah. have this, this um, sifirot which, which resembles a form of developmental stage and you have like the stages with, uh, with this uh, 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 causal and, and subtle. It's all there in a way, you know, and... Right. Well, in so. some ways, the uh, you know, Crowley thought that uh, you know his uh, uh, tarot deck, you know, the Thoth Tarot, was the the culmination of his work. Mm. And uh, you know, when I, I I look at that and I see what you know the you know the symbols symbol system that he's he's creating uh, again, it comes from Kabbalah, and 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 so right away when it, when I approach his work. You know, there is this block because uh, I don't want to privilege, um, you know, one set of, of um, symbols, uh, 
one set of um, developmental principles like Kabbalah over another uh, system, yeah, over the yeah. others. Mm. You know, because it's a matter of uh, linguistically, I want want to uh, you know leave it open to uh, you know getting to. De- uh, developmental wisdom from a wide range of different languages mm. and you know part of my my uh, my hope and this isn't something that I've written about yet it's, I'm just exploring it with you now is is creating a, a way of uh, saving the wisdom from languages before mm. the languages completely disappear mm. uh, you know it's kind of a you know, I think postmodernism has this genius idea that we do need to save, you know, cultural diversity, and we need to save indigenous languages and the languages that are, you know, disappearing. Hmm. But then, what do you do with them? Hmm. When when the sign is arbitrary, what's the point? You know, hmm. there's this performative contradiction uh, among pro, you know postmodern linguists and anthropologists because they they want to save the languages. But then they say the sign is arbitrary. So what's the point? Hmm. You know, why not just force everybody to use, you know, uh, you know, someone else's language? You know, if, it, if, mm-hmm. if it's all arbitrary. Hmm. So, uh, so what? What I say is, uh, I want to see that the language is preserved. But then I want us to take another step, and to you know, write new epic poems, write new magical language for hmm. every language in which. People can uh, can describe the genius of their language in other people can understand by relating it to this uh, this symbol uh, this lingua u symbolic system, hmm. and so the lingua u could become this edifice by which the linguistic genius of seven thousand different languages can be can be arrayed and and displayed and put on parade <laughs> you know okay. it's, you know it could be a glorious and it could be a way of of tapping into indigenous wisdom and and uh, you know and bringing bringing back magic that that has been uh, you know has been hidden and and so I want to kind of get them I think the, the the language is you know the is close to where the the magic is hidden, and where mm. the is re, this is not just foo foo magic, you know, or this is this is a real technology that's been hidden. No, of course, I, it's like mm-hmm. right. So I, you know, I think it's it's really important for me to you know to keep up this work and and see where it goes. I don't. It's going to take me another decade to finish the calendar series and create the. The artwork and a part of that is going to be creating a new tarot. Uh, okay. You know the the uh, count the first book, Black Stone, introduces one of the suits of the new tarot, hmm. uh, suit of the black stones. Hmm. So that's a that's one of the themes of the book. Hmm. Is this, this whole new suit of, of tarot? Okay, that's an integral part of of the book series, a, a new tarot. Right. Mm? Okay. Yeah. Uh, how, how do you approach this? I mean, how how do you do this? You know the, uh, the the key for me is is to uh, um, to keep um, marching forward as part of a, part of a vision that that's come to me over the course of you know some sixteen years. Hmm. You know I've I've had a 
you know, spiritual experiences going back to my 30th birthday, which convinced me that I had a special mer- mission, I had a special purpose to, to fulfill. Okay. And I, I didn't understand what it was. And at times it, it, it seemed, um, you know, bizarre and otherworldly. But I, I had to keep, uh, keep fighting, uh, you know, this tendency I had to go back to sleep and forget that I had this purpose. But hmm. every day of my life for 16 years, you know, I, I, I know that I have this purpose and that, uh, you know, if I don't go back to sleep and just, you know, curl up on the couch with a beer, hmm. you know, I've got some good work I can do. And um, you know, right now my vision is bringing this... Uh, you know, this, this vision to fruition. Hmm. Um, you know, the, the one thing I'll add is, is that, uh, you know, the, uh, it, there's a series of fantasy books that I'm writing, you know, the hmm. calendar series, but this, unlike other fantasy books that, uh, you know, that people can buy in a bookstore, hmm. this one has a magical system that is meant to actually be magical. Hmm. <laughs> it's meant to actually, uh, awaken somebody's soul to a higher level, uh, a level in which magic can happen. Well, and, and that is something that, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. It's, it's, it's going to take some time and, uh, like I said, another decade. But uh, I just keep marching one step forward every day and uh, remembering that I've got this purpose. You know, Crowley called it uh, that... Uh, that uh, unique will, and mm. you know that's that's my own take on that. Mm. So, and this is your uh, grand vision for humankind for the next thousand years that everybody awakens to his higher purpose, or or what is your vision there? I think this something like what I've done could have a role uh, to play in waking people up. Mm. Uh, You know, it's, uh, you know, when I look at, uh, uh, at what other people are, are writing and, and focused on right now, I think mm. it's all wonderful, but it, it's not this. And there's a space for this. this mm. is, if this weren't there, somebody would have to step in and, and, and do it. Mm. So it's just, this is my role to play. And I don't know exactly, uh, uh, you know, how it will come down. Um, mm. but, uh you know, how, how it will take off or if it uh, will sputter and, and, uh, and fail to launch, you know, it's, it's all at, at a, it's all at a precipice right now. It's hard to see exactly where it's going to go. Hmm. Wow. So your, your, the first book of the series is coming out when? Uh, May 1st. May. F oh, really? In, in five days. That's right. This is awesome. That's right. So I'm it's seven. <laughs> but it's uh, available everywhere with with Amazon and and as ebook as well. Yes, that, that's my understanding. Oh, perfect, perfect. And the uh, the other parts have do you have a dateline or something like this? Over over the next uh, several years. Okay, okay, yeah. perfect. Well, Joe, this is a very complex topic. I hope we can um, deepen our conversation at some other point. Um, thank you for taking the time. 
Well, and to, I appreciate, to, appreciate to you. Uh, it's been wonderful to, to uh, spend this time with you. To, to explore your way of thinking and, and your, your work, actually. So, yeah. Otherwise, awesome. otherwise uh, I wish you all the best. And, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Ciao.